0: Welcome to the Community of Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ, and they grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right, take your notes out. We're going to dive in. We are in week four four of our series. We're calling the series Long Story Short. Say it with me. Long Story Short. And here's what we're doing. We are using the Bible to help us understand the Bible. And uh, we are working off a particular presumption uh, around this. And, And the presumption I bring into this space is simply this. I shared it last week. Most of us have a Bible. Raise your hand if you have a Bible. Great. Some of us have touched one. Right. And not a lot of us read it. And we don't read it because we don't understand it. And, and because we don't understand it, we don't read it. And if we don't read it, we're going to miss what's in there. And we may be tempted to believe it's irrelevant. And here's what I want to tell you. It's not irrelevant. There's a lot of stuff going on in there. And so that's the kind of the overarching presumption I bring into this space. But the writers of Holy scripture bring a presumption too. And here's the presumption they bring into this space. They bring into this space that if you read God's word and you understand it, which means really more or less, you let it read you, it will change your life and offer to you uh, all kinds of things like hope and meaning and purpose and grace and truth and, and, and God's blessing. How many of you would say, I would like God's blessing on my life? Get your hand up there. All right, I know some of you put both hands up. All right. And so this is the thing we're learning about right now in the series. In fact, I was thinking this because I was doing my devotions this week. And as you would expect a pastor to do, I came across a passage in James. This isn't even in the message. This is like called bonus material. So you're getting bonus material. James chapter one. You can see the presumption of James, the half brother of Jesus in what I just said. And I want you to notice what he says. Look at this. In James chapter 1, James chapter 1, this is what he says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, he says. Do what it says. For if anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks into the, into the perfect law, there it is. That gives freedom, and watch this, and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard. Watch, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. And so there, there's James really coming from this perspective that if we will, if we will come to understand God's word better, if we will welcome that pursuit uh, into our lives. Our lives are going to, by the very nature of that, have greater clarity, greater meaning, greater purpose, greater hope. And the more I live on this earth, the more I realize we all need that, right? Amen. 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 So what we've been doing is we're, we're using this series as a way to talk through this. And uh, we are um, walking through the six major movements in Holy Scripture. You can take all of the Bible... 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, written over a span of 1,500 years by 40 different authors, three different languages, three different continents. That's a lot. And you can boil all of that down into six movements that uh, all connect together. And what we're trying to say is this, if we can distill all of that Uh, Knowledge, and we could look at these six movements from that point forward, then anytime we're reading scripture, we can connect it to one of these six movements. Everyone does. Every time we're reading scripture, if we know these six things, we'll be able to go, oh, this is about this. Oh, this is connected to this. Oh, this is really what he's talking about over here. And we can understand that better. So we've given the six movements. We're working our way through them. The first one, anybody remember what it was? It was creation. Here's what we're learning about creation. God is good, and he's created all the time. All right. Man, preaching my message, right? God is good, and thank you, uh, and he's created good. And we need to know that because when things are not good, we can all go back. Remember what I'm saying? We, could, we can go, okay, we can go back to that space. It wasn't not good. It, w- it didn't start bad. So we can understand that. The next movement is fall. And we said, every story has a villain, and the story of Christianity has a villain. There is an enemy uh, in the story, embedded in the story, that is out to destroy us and to destroy our faith. In fact, uh, Peter, who is one of the closest disciples of Jesus, wrote in a book that bears his name in the New Testament. Watch how we can connect what what we're reading to the fall. See how we're connecting? Watch this. He says, be sober, uh, be alert and of sober mind for your enemy. Uh, the devil prowls about like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, resist him. He says, stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So the first movement's creation, the second movement uh, is fall, and then the third movement, if you're taking notes, we just said the scholars like to say it's Israel, and that begins in Genesis chapter 12 and goes all the way to Matthew chapter 1. That's a lot. The largest section uh, of these six movements is really the section around Israel, and we said instead of Israel, can we just call it People. And instead of uh, and what we want to know about people is this: all that story is just how God is forming a people. how God is starting with one person. this is always how God does it. He starts with one person. And he starts doing redemptive work in that one person's life. And if you carry that life long enough and you live that life forward long enough, you begin to see all this reconciliation that has taken place as a result of that. Some of us are here today because we're the product of somebody who God was reconciling their life. And then they, and then they then invited us into the work of God's reconciliation. Amen to that. This is how it all makes sense. So, so the third movement, how God is forming a people and, and, and we found a rhythm. This is what we talked about last week real quickly. It starts with a blessing. God just starts blessing. And watch this. He doesn't bless just because there's of something we've done. He blesses simply because he's good. Now you're going to leave here in a few moments and you're, you're going to go into a culture that has a narrative, that has a story going on. And most of the story sometimes refers to God and it is not good. But here's what we're learning in here. The story began good because what? God is good. And so uh, the first kind of rhythm and how God is forming a people starts with a blessing. And then watch this. Obedience uh, creates... And moves us to experience and leads us to more blessing. And I want to make a note around this because here's what I want to say. Obedience leads to more blessing. Not because God withholds his blessing from us necessarily when we're doing bad. Although there are scriptures that talk about that. That's, we're not really talking about this from a puni- punitive perspective. But what I want us to understand is simply this. This. What we begin to learn when we step into God's space and we live that out, here's what we begin to learn. God's way is just better. How many of you would, would, would self-identify and go, I'm learning that God's ways. How, don't you wish we would just know that rather than we have to experience life and come to that conclusion? But that's, it just doesn't happen that way, and sometimes it takes us a while to get that. But what I, want, what I want us to understand is that obedience leads to more blessing. It's sort of like this. It just means that when we, we begin to understand this, we just begin to learn that God's way is better. Now, watch. When, when God was beginning to form the Israelites and he was moving them to the promised land, you see this rhythm over and over again. Blessing, failure, failure. Rescue. Blessing. Failure. Rescue. Blessing. Failure. Rescue. When they lived into his uh, obedience, there was more blessing. When they, when they, when they got out of alignment with that, they, they, there was, there was failure. And he gets, uh, we get to Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is the end of the Pentateuch. We're five books in the Old Testament. And they're about to cross into the promised land, and God brings them right to the edge of the promised land. And I want you to see this because, again, what I'm trying to do is summarize all this scope and all this scale of God's word and bring it right down to a a place we can understand. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, we see this, this word. God says to them, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. What is he saying to them? He's saying, Here are the two paths. Choose the right path. And what I want you to notice, he's not necessarily saying, if you choose the bad path, I'm going to punish you. It's it's like God is saying this, I'm the perfect trail guide. And I know what's out there. And if you'll follow what I'm saying and doing what I'm suggesting. I remember years ago, uh, I flew, I've, I've done this twice, my My brother-in-law took his two sons and their favorite uncle, small point, their only uncle, but their favorite uncle, and and we flew to Alaska, and we all went fishing. I mean, it was fantastic, and we we, we flew to to, uh, Alaska, then we got onto this little, uh, this DC-3, we went over this uh, mountain range, we landed on this dirt airstrip, we got into this Uh, carried our luggage down to these little boats. We went 30 miles up the Quijack River, and there was a fishing lodge there, and we camped out there for a week fishing. We'd get in float planes, and we'd fly out and fish. It was the most beautiful experience. And and every now and again, when we were doing that, uh, and we'd be with a trail guide, a lot of times we were fishing where there were bears. And and it was hard to concentrate. And like... (laughs) The, the, the guide would say, listen, occasionally when you get a trout on the line, right, like the bear will come running out of the woods. No joke. Let him have the fish. I'm like, duh. He can have the rod. He can have my brother-in-law. I don't care. I mean, what, whatever works. But a lot of times we were with a trail guide, and the trail guide would take us down through these places, and he'd have these rocks together, and he'd just clap the rocks. Like trying to alert the bear. He said, you don't want to come on a bear and have them not know you're there. And I'm like, okay. It was crazy. And so God is saying, I'm the trail guide. Here's a path before you. Choose the right path. Choose the path. Now, interestingly, this is what I want us to think about. Don't think about it from a punitive way. There are scriptures in there like that. Think of it this way. He's the trail guide. He knows. Follow his plan. Now, when David was writing about this very thing, watch how I'm moving us forward. Get a little later in the story, David's, David's talking about this very thing. And what David says is this in Psalm 16, verse 11. Notice what he says. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Notice what he's saying. The boundaries are there. But when I choose to live in the boundaries, they're spacious. It, something about it feels right. A little bit later in the, same, in the same psalm, he says this, You make known to me a path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures that are at your right hand. There's something about living a way that, 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 that God can bless that is in itself transformative. I remember, I think it was uh, uh, Mark Twain who wrote one time, it's kind of interesting. He said, tell the truth and you don't have to remember anything. Right? Isn't that great? And to prove, prove the point one time, this is a true story. He, he, he sent a, a cablegram to 10 of his best friends, actually I think a dozen of his best friends, and this is what it said on the telegram. He just sent one, one phrase that said, Flee at once, everything is found out. And by morning, all of his friends were gone. <laughs> what's, what's he saying there? He's saying that we, we, we have this stuff behind us. When we live into, in, into a way that God can bless our life, we don't have to be worried. We can be free, we can experience his grace. So now this morning, what I want to do, I want to take us all the way back. We're going to go back to the very first scripture that we're looking at this morning. It's actually our theme verse of scripture. It's in the Gospel of John. It's in John chapter uh, 1, verse 45. And this moves us into the next movement, of course, which is the movement about Jesus. And I want you to just notice this little thing. It says, Philip found Nathanael, and he told him. He said, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And the reason we chose that text is, is here's here's what what I've come to believe. All of us are searching for something. Interestingly, many of you all know the Copans, Vic and Kathy, and she's the executive director of our discipleship ministry there in They're in Israel right now. You go to Israel and you go to the Western Wall. And a lot of folks who are still over there still take prayers where they're looking for a Messiah, and they stick those prayers in the Western Wall. And here's what you and I want to say today. The Messiah has come, and his name is Jesus. And this is the thing that that we're talking about. This is the next big movement in Scripture, and it's the movement about Christ. Because what we're saying is this. We're saying, we're saying it begins with blessing, how God forms a people, and then obedience leads to more blessing. And I wish it could end there, but it doesn't end there. The next click is simply this: disobedience leads us to exile. And you know what exile is? Exile, scripturally speaking, is to be someplace. That you don't know where you are, and there's a chasm between you and freedom, and you can't get out. That's the biblical idea of disobedience leading us off to exile, and it's stained every single one of us. We all know what it's like. Now, I was thinking about this because a lot of times in our culture, we we don't really, I think, know what exile really feels like in our culture Now, some of us who are here and and i think those of us who have a great testimony those of us who've come out of really dark spaces i mean we may we may get it but but collectively as a culture can i just say this we often don't understand this concept and so all week long i was trying to think about what are what are some ways that can help us get our minds and hearts around this because here's the thing at the end of the day i don't want this to feel like a bible study and part of the challenge for me as a communicator, biblical communicator, is not to just create, a, communicate concepts in ways that it feels like a study, but I want to warm your heart to it. And I want, I, want you to understand, I want you to see it right in front of us. And I was thinking about this concept of exile. So exile is being carried off. It's in a place you didn't imagine you would be. There's a distance. There's a chasm. There's no way that you can get out. And a lot of us can't understand it. We can only understand it sort of anecdotally. I remember uh, back in, I think it was uh, in November, uh, uh, this past year, and of course my daughter's here with her husband, Eric, and um, it was right before their wedding, and we were running errands, and we were going to go uh, get a car, we were going to run all these errands, and we came out to do all that, and uh, Beth said, let's just take my car. I said, no, let's take the truck. And she goes, no, I'd, I'd rather take the car. I said, why would we take a car when we have a truck? <laughs> Let's take the truck. And so we went to take the truck. We're running all these errands, and and I went to stop to get gas, and I went to start the truck. Yeah, you can see this coming, right? (laughs) Truck didn't start. Ended up like this. And I want you to know, as the Lord is my witness, my wife never said a word about that. I know, I I don't deserve her. I know, I know. But sometimes, I mean, we could go like exile can kind of feel like that. I mean, here we are on the other side of town. We got stuck. We had to, it would turn into a thing. I mean, just, we kind of get, we get this idea. Uh, I remember when I was uh, growing up, I don't know if I've shared this or not. I, I, we would go to New England for vacation. My, my dad was from New England. My mom was from North Florida. They met and so when we were, I was growing up, we would go to New England. I remember one year we went to New England, and we went with all of our cousins. We were all traveling together up there. It was this cool thing. I still I remember it. And uh, my folks had you know picked, uh hotels where we'd stay. We'd drive. It took us three days to get up there. This is kind of what we did—the big family trip, you know, kind of a thing. And the last night we were staying, I think it was before we were to get to New England, we stayed at this place. And I rem- I remember it in my childhood memory. It was this. Large hotel, and I remember we were on the ground floor. My cousins were on the, lar- uh, on the top floor, and we kept going up and down in the elevator, right? And my dad took us aside, and he, and he said, um, there are other guests here, not just us. <laughs> Y'all remember those kind of talks, right? And he said, I want you to behave and do not, I want, don't get in, look like, look me in the eye. Don't get in the elevator anymore. So then I went out and got in the elevator, and I was coming down in the elevator, and the elevator got stuck. Right? It's like the scripture that says, be careful, your sins will find you out. And I got stuck. And, I, and my brother, at first, you know, the cousins were trying to get Dale out of the elevator. You know, it's kind of a thing. And they couldn't help. I said, don't don't go get, I'm yelling on the other side, don't go get mom and dad like <laughs> Get me out of here, right? So they're trying to do. So finally, it didn't work, and, and a crowd is starting to gather, and then I could hear them on the other side. And, I, and, and, my, and one of my, I think it was my brother, came up and he kind of said across the, the door to the elevator, Mom is here. <laughs> so, so I thought, uh, this is not going to end well for me. So I, I kind of ramped it up. So I started screaming, I can't breathe. <laughs> Do, do you remember trying to evoke compassion when you know you're in trouble, right? I can't breathe. And finally, the maintenance guy pries open the door, and I see this crowd. They kind of move in with compassion. I look above the crowd, and I can see my mom's face. It did not look compassionate at all. And my mom kind of weaseled her way through the crowd, got right up to where the elevator was, took one step under the elevator, grabbed my ear, and pulled me out of there. And this is why my ears look like they do. I have been abused, okay? We only understand these things anecdotally, we don't really get the full weight of what it is to be in exile. And when the Bible talks about exile, it it talks about it in spiritual terms. I was thinking about something that that the one-year anniversary is coming up that will help us get a better picture of it. Maybe, Maybe you remember it happened in Thailand last summer, northern Thailand. 12 kids, soccer team, right? Took an hour. I want to show you the team. There they are. Took took an hour one afternoon between games and went sightseeing and walked into a cave. Remember that? And then it started a deluge. And the water started coming so fast, the coach did the only thing he knew to do. He thought, I can't get everybody over the water. We'll just go backwards in the cave. And I think we have a diagram of what it actually looked like. And I want you to get the picture of this. They went down a half mile and backwards two and a half miles. Now just let that sit in the room for just a moment. Down a half mile, backwards two and a half miles. And they were stuck in there for 30 days. In fact, when the rescuers came at first to try to get them, there was a suspicion they were in there. Uh, one writer I was reading about it uh, a while ago that said, um, "The water that was rushing into that cave and uh, in and out of that cave was fa- faster current than the Colorado River at flood stage." That's the kind of exile we're talking about. And over and over again, what you find in history, you find, you find blessing because he's good. You find failure because of disobedience and not living into the spacious place that he's offered to us. And then you find rescue. And finally, God had to bring the greatest rescue, which was Christ. Because here's, here's what we all know. We're lost. And part of the exile means this. We, we, have, been, we have been carried off And separated by such great distance, we have no idea where we are and how to get out of the mess we're in. That's what the Bible is painting the story of. And into that picture comes Christ. Nathaniel, we have found the one. We have found the one that Moses referred to. We have found the one the prophet said, and his name is Jesus, the Messiah. There's a sense of lostness and spiritual condition that comes to all of us. And we have this nagging sense that there's more to life than What we can taste and touch and smell and feel and see. And here's why. Because Solomon said it this way. God has placed eternity in our heart. You get quiet enough. You get still enough. This is what you remember. There's more going on. There's more than I can see. But we don't know how to get there. So we're lost And he has come to find us. And into this condition, the Bible says that Jesus has come to rescue us. It's so cool how the scripture takes this turn. Remember, we started with creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You get to Genesis chapter 1. Verse 1, and and John is writing about this, and John says it this way, in the beginning, sound familiar? In the beginning there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Followed, of course, by this verse, we always think about at Christmas, and the Word was made flesh. He's come to rescue us. It's interesting, when those boys were being rescued, there was an elite Navy SEAL who tried to get in there first. It was the bravest one to step forward and said, I, I think I can get to them. And you know, you remember the story I show you, this picture, he, he got in there, he couldn't get out. And so they kept working at it over the 30 days, and they got in there to those boys. And watch this now, because you get the analogy. They had to get them out one at a time. And that's what Christ does for us. He comes to your individual sense of exile, and he says, I can get you out. And so in that story, gosh, wow. They put them in these containers, carried them out, took two and a half hours each person to get them out. Then, of course, this, right? They had to make a choice to go. I imagine they said they would, they got all the guys together and they said, you know, here's, here's, here's the good news. We can get you out. Here's the bad news. It's not going to be easy and it's dangerous. And thirdly, it's your only way out. And so over and over again, that's what they did. And so you had to choose. One account said all those boys grew up really fast same thing is true today you got to choose and, and whenever you choose can I just remind you I think there's three things involved in a choice the first the first thing is is this you have to choose when uh, the decision is momentous I think or no I think when it's live is what I meant to say Live means there, there's a real certain possibility that what we're talking about is true. Remember remember what, what, what the disciple said, we have found the one. They're looking. They found him. So what was true for them is true for you, but, but, but the decision is live. It means there's a lot of certainty there. I mean, think about it this way. We're going we're gonna to elect another president uh, in the future. It might be a Democrat or Republican. It won't be Trevor or me. Right. I know that's disappointing. But, but what I'm saying is this there's no chance of that. There's chance of the other thing. That's, that's what it means to be live. Secondly, watch this. A decision has to be momentous, which means it's important. A lot of decisions in our lives aren't, aren't really important. Is it chocolate or vanilla? Is it fish or chicken? Is it decaf or regular? Those are not really big decisions. But every now and again, watch a decision comes along. And it's important. It's momentous. And then, lastly, it's forced, which which means this you have to decide. They come in there to get those boys. Uh, None of those boys went, you know what? I think I'll wait. I don't really like that plan. There's got to be another plan. And somebody had to look them in the eye and go, this is your only shot. Choose wisely. So here's what I want to tell you. The Bible's telling a story. The story is a biography. It's about a beautiful life who has come to rescue those who are in exile. And that's us. So make the right choice. I want to close and I want to ask you, we will often do this. This is a position of receptivity, just where you're sitting. Just place your hands palm down on your, on your lap. And let me pray for you. Lord, would you give us the capacity in this space to choose you? And I pray for everybody in this room or listening online who has made a choice for you. And I, I thank you for that, Lord. I've done that too. I, I recognize in my own exile, there was no way out. And you offered a way, spanned the distance, brought me into a spacious place. And now your ba- boundaries land for me in a spacious place. But there may be some of us here who have not yet decided. And God would you remind them in this moment that the decision is live it's momentous and its force which means to not to decide to decide is to decide against Give us the ability to step in to who you are reveal yourself by the power of your spirit show us that you are still rescuing the exiles even still today I pray for any who have never said yes to to you that they would right now say, Lord, come into my heart, forgive my sins. Be my Lord, my leader, my forgiver, and my friend. This we pray in the name of Christ and everyone said, amen. We're gonna close this morning by singing one of my favorite songs that remind us of the rescuing God who comes after the exiles. Let's stand together and sing it we were exiles but you're bringing us home and I just pray that you build faith in the lives of people who are here today and our hearts cry is for someone else someone else in our family someone else around us God that needs still to be exiled uh, rescued from exile would you remind us that you're not done that you're not done that you're still doing it and we pray for each of these precious people would you do it for them Would you rescue them? In the name of Jesus, do it, we pray. In your precious name, and everyone said, amen. 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 Praise God. Go in his blessing. Amen. We'll see you next week.